Welcome to the Sword in the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to the Sword in the Trial today. Delighted to have you with us and delighted about this podcast because we have Pastor Mike Stone with us here. Amen. Yeah, Mike is a pastor, longtime pastor in the same church in Georgia. And uh, you've served there how long, Mike, in your present church? Yeah, 25 years. 25 years. And uh, and tell us where the church is and just a little bit about it. Well, it's the Emmanuel Baptist Church. And because some people don't know how to spell it, we spell it with an E. It's the Emmanuel Baptist Church in the heart of Southeast Georgia, a city of about 4,000 people and a county of about 17,000. So a very rural, uh, blue-collar area of Southeast Georgia. It is a strong evangelistic church, and God has really blessed us. In a town of 4,000 people, pre-COVID, we were about 1050 or 1100, mm. and we've had a good strong return rate of about 90% uh, when uh, uh, in the aftermath of COVID-19, just a strong, uh, hot-hearted, soul-winning, expository preaching church. And I've been blessed to serve there. Uh, October will actually be my 25th anniversary. Wow. Oh, that's Very wonderful. Good. That's what, are you, what are you preaching through right now? Well, I'm preaching through Selected Proverbs right now. I just mm-hmm. finished up preaching through my 34th book of the Bible, uh, which was the uh, book of Nehemiah. Before mm-hmm. that, I preached through Ezra. It took about two years preaching through both of those books, literally uh, not just verse by verse, but word by word. And as you guys know, that takes quite a while. So with uh, some of the sporadic stuff that happens headed into the summer, I'm just going through some Selected Proverbs right now and uh, most likely going to pick up the book of Esther, uh, when we hit the month of August. Wonderful. Very nice. You do have a pretty busy coming up here uh, to the summer because you are an SBC presidential candidate, and we are delighted to have you on today to really talk about the SBC, the status of the SBC, what needs to be done, and uh, what your intentions are if God so works that you become president. So we are uh, looking forward to having this conversation. And uh, for those who are tuning in, you'll have a chance to see Mike Stone because he's going to be uh, at, or at least popping in at some point, to our Be It Resolved conference up in um, Nashville the Monday before the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. And so um, we actually have a trailer for that conference. So watch this, watch this trailer for this one-day conference coming up the Monday before the SBC. We have a book. It says this. What do you think makes the SBC the best denomination in America? If you believe the book, that's good. We're on the same team. I'm going to put it, just simply put, that we stick to what the scripture has to tell us. I'm not seeing the SBC do what some conventions are doing in terms of uh, stepping away from their, their, their values and stances on biblical uh, hot button topics. If you say, yeah, I believe the book, but because of the position I'm in, you know, I really can't say much, then, you know, go get a different kind of job. How do you feel about a woman being president of SBC? I don't know that I have a comment on that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, what do you think scripture speaks on women preachers or pastors? Would you be willing to talk about that at all? I, I'd say the Bible does The Bible does speak upon it. Um, since I'm honestly representing Lifeway, um, I'd rather let Lifeway answer that question. And we're requesting that resolutions nine through 13 would be taken as a block. I'll tell you what happened. On the adoption of Resolution 9. What happened? We've been played. The resolution is adopted. We've been played. 
I am shocked that we could have a pro-critical theory resolution come out of our resolutions committee this year. And this resolution is very clear in the way that we have approached the discussion of critical race theory and intersectionality. The whole, all of Christianity, <laughs> let's end Christianity, how do we do it? Dumb. Yeah, how would you do it? Make them woke. That couldn't have happened last year. That couldn't have happened any year I can remember since before the resurgence was successful, maybe not even then. If I might predict it, they're gonna hold up some icon, a woman, a racial minority, and they'll say a church that doesn't have room for this person doesn't have room for any of us. A Southern Baptist convention that doesn't have a place for Beth Moore doesn't have a place for a lot of us. We will take this as an unfriendly amendment for this purpose. Critical race theory and intersectionality are simply analytical tools. Not They're true. meant to be used as tools, not as a worldview. It's not true. It's not and the original resolution that was submitted by a pastor out in California actually said 180 degrees opposite. They took the title of the resolution that was submitted by the messenger from California, and then they gutted it and put their own words in there to turn it into something that was not at all what was submitted. I think that is at best disingenuous. That most of the folks in our churches have not bought into this. Yeah. And I just think most of the folks in our churches still believe the Bible. We hope that you will sign up and uh, join us for that one-day conference, June 14th. The convention begins Tuesday morning, June 15th, so you can be there, um, participate with us. It's going to be a great lineup of uh, speakers and topics. We're going to end it off on Monday evening with a prayer meeting, which uh, we desperately need to remember that only God can do what needs to be done to help any of us and certainly to help the Convention of Churches known as Southern Baptists. So uh, plan to be there for that. If you have any questions about it, you can call our office or email us or something, and we'll be glad to try to help you out. Well, Mike, um, there are four candidates that have announced that they're willing to let themselves be nominated for the presidency of the SBC this year. And I, I don't know... Uh, I know Al Mohler, I don't know Ed Litton, and I just have corresponded a little bit with Randy Adams, but they all seem like really good guys. I mean, you know, they're, they're, we're not talking about a bad guy in the, in the mix, but uh, there are things that each one of you bring to the table. And one of the things that I've been most impressed with about you is the fact that you are a local church pastor. And I just, I've said this for years, I think the SBC needs to be led by pastors. And so that's a, a very important uh qualification for me. But beyond that, you've served in a variety of, of, of roles in helping to lead both your state convention there in Georgia, your local association, and the SBC, because you're the immediate past chairman of the executive committee. Is that right? Uh, that's right. And Tom, I like to say that uh, in my time as pastor, again, 25 years serving in the same church, I've served in just about every position from the local church pastorate all the way down to the chairmanship of the SBC Executive Committee. Mm -hmm. Our church is heavily involved in our local Baptist Association. We're the leading contributor and lead in a lot of different statistical areas in our local Baptist Association. 
I've been the chairman of the executive committee and president of the Georgia Baptist Convention, which is in many respects, the second largest convention in our convention of churches. And as you mentioned, uh, the immediate past chair of the SBC executive committee, but I would just highlight in that vein, uh, why I use the word down that I've served from the, from the pastorate on down to the chairman of the national board because the headquarters of the Southern Baptist Convention is the local church. Mm. Uh, and so I think we need we need leadership that emanates from the SBC headquarters, which is not Nashville or Louisville or Fort Worth or Alpharetta or any of the other corporate offices of SBC entities. Uh, the headquarters of the SBC is the local church. And further, I think we'd be well served to have a local church pastor who, who I think views passions and ministries are more in touch with uh, rank and file average Southern Baptist mm. churches. Amen. One of the things we've talked about here, uh, Pastor Mike, is how you, if you think about the conservative resurgence in the SBC, there seems to be something good that happened there. And, you know, here we are downstream a little bit and we just got really a mess on our hands, it appears. And sometimes we wonder, how, how do we get here? So what's your assessment? How do we get here? And what does the SBC need right now? Well, I think the way that we got here is by taking our eye off the ball as far as intentionality. I've said this and been criticized for saying it, but no no person and no entity, no organization ever drifts to the right. Mm -hmm. You've never drifted toward personal holiness, not one moment of your life. That's why one of my favorite hymns rightly says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Not, not prone to righteousness, Lord, I feel it. No, I'm prone to wonder. And uh, the natural tendency is to drift to the left. And anytime you begin to say we have won the battle for the Bible, I think that shows a lack of intentionality and vigilance because the battle for the Bible did not start in the 1960s. It was not won in the 1990s. It started in Genesis chapter three, and that battle will not be fully and finally put down until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think in some ways we, we, we rest on our laurels and feel like we have accomplished a sense of safety and security in the so-called battle for the Bible. I will say on this point that I, I believe in many ways we've won the battle for the Bible's inerrancy, but we, for many years, I, I've contended we're losing the battle for its authority and for its sufficiency. Mm. And there are some organizational uh, structural challenges within the SBC, for, for example, from the Office of President. When you're looking at the boards of trustees, there that is about three or four steps removed from the election of the presidency. Mm -hmm. So where there is no intentionality, you can have sort of a dilution uh, downstream of that appointment process. And that's where I think we can begin to veer into some of the, I think, unscriptural and unbiblical ideologies and theories and practices that we see in a lot of different places in the SBC. I think it's an organizational uh, uh, limitation as well as just a lack of intentionality and constant vigilance. Mike, you have uh, been talking to pastors and churches and really anybody. You've made yourself very accessible over the last few months across the convention. And in those connections, as you've listened to churches, church members, just, you know, what B.H. Carroll calls the, the great common Baptist people, uh, what have you been hearing? You know, what are the what are the desires? What are the concerns? You know, what are the yeah. things that are the churches are appreciating or, or things that they want to see addressed uh, from your vantage point? Yeah. Well, of course, uh, people who come to meetings or reach out, they do so because they love and appreciate the work of Southern Baptists. And there is much for which we have to be grateful, much mm -hmm. for which we should be excited. But uh, on the uh, concern side, I would put it all under the umbrella of frustration. That is that people who are out in the pew, pastors in local churches, 
have a great sense of frustration and a sense of disengagement and disconnect. They do not feel like their voices are being heard, that their concerns are being answered. Uh, some of that is all the way down to the way that the order of business is put together at an annual meeting. You have a very limited amount of time to ask a question. Mm. There's a very limited amount of answer that you get from the pulpit. And then sometimes your, your microphone is kind of shut down and the convention moves on to other things. And you never sense that your concern is being addressed. And I think we're seeing that frustration manifested through uh, decreased uh, giving through the cooperative program, as well as decreased just sheer participation in the cooperative program. Because when people feel like their voice is not being heard and their concerns are not being addressed, they tend to vote with their feet and with their pocketbook. That's true mm -hmm. at the local church level. We as pastors know that. We've seen that. Uh, but it's also true at the convention level. So I think the, the, the overarching statement that I would give is a sense of disconnect from the national leadership of the SBC. Uh, Pastor Mike, what what should happen to a church that uh, consistently would have uh, women pastors of any kind or uh, women preachers in their churches? Should they remain in the SBC or should we try to correct that? And if they're unwilling to correct that, go to the Credentials Committee and have them removed. Well, I think that, that if they do not correct, uh, I think they should be removed through the processes that we have in place. Uh, if you try to follow sort of a church discipline matter uh, or process, and we recognize the convention is not a church, but Matthew 18 principles, I think, could serve us well as far as making an initial inquiry, finding out if we have all the information correct. If the information is correct and if that's confirmed, there should certainly be an opportunity for correction on the part of the church. If it's a sin issue, there should be not only correction, but repentance. So any process of removal, um, it, consistent with Matthew 18, should have as its goal the idea that there's a correction of any untoward behavior and that we can remain in fellowship together. But that generally is not what happens when you have a church that is brought up for some kind of uh, potential disfellowshipping from the SBC because uh, this is, these are usually doctrine and practice issues that the church is proud of. Mm -hmm. We often find out about it through open public actions of the church, what they put on their website, or these days what they've posted on social media. So that does not generally lend itself to think that, uh, that they're open to correction. In the case, for example, of, of women preachers and women pastors, I think that puts them squarely outside Article 6, of the Baptist faith and message uh, dealing with the office of pastor. And I think if there's no change in the ecclesiology of that uh, local church, then they should be removed from fellowship with the SBC. I would just like to say to our listeners, that kind of resolve from Pastor Mike Stone is why you should be voting for him as the next SBC president. Amen. Notice he did not just say, <laughs> yes, theoretically, abstractly, I could say that that might not be the best practice for a Christian community and not heavy handed and not mean spirited, but quite plainly saying if it's outside the Baptist faith and message, which you have to have general agreement with, then we should move forward with the system that we've agreed to. That's yeah. the kind of action that we need. And nor did you say, Mike, and I appreciate, well, if the church affirms the Baptist faith and message, then, you know, if they go ahead and ordain women pastors, or if they do this, if they say they affirm the Baptist faith and message, then that's enough. I mean, it means yeah. something. We have boundaries. It, it should. Yeah. It, it should mean something, Tom. And a lot of times when you have uh, pastors and, and other SBC leaders who verbally affirm 
their belief in the Baptist faith and message, and yet there are clear indications uh, that their practice doesn't line up with that. And by the way, you know, with COVID-19 and everybody live streaming these days and the presence of social media, you've got easy documentation from video screenshots of their websites and things of that nature. Uh, A lot of times when these pastors say, I affirm the Baptist faith and message, quite frankly, their verbal affirmation is not worth the paper that it's written on Mm. if they're not willing to put it into practice. And on that same point, I hear noted Baptist leaders say that we need to just focus on the essentials. We need to unite around the gospel, you know, unity in the essentials, uh, liberty in the non-essentials and all things charity. I understand the meaning of that phrase, but we are not an ecumenical body as Southern Baptists. Mm. We are a convention of Southern Baptist churches who, by the very virtue and nature of the Baptist faith and message, we have agreed to agree on far more than what we would historically call the essentials or fundamentals of the faith. We have some Baptist distinctives that are not uh, part of the gospel itself, but we have agreed that those are going to be necessary parts of our cooperation as a convention of churches. Since we're talking about the need for action, it would be great to address just how important this coming convention is. You have served uh, as chair of this executive committee very recently. You have a, probably a sense better than most about the actual status of these various trustee boards. So just when it comes to the executive committee, when it comes to the ERLC trustee board, all the seminaries, IMB, NAM, all of that, what would you just say? Give us the temperature. Is it is it really bad? Do we need action now? Do we need to get some um, the right people on the on the bus? I think there are two challenges that we have. One is personnel and the other is process. I do believe that elections have consequences. And when you have people elected to office whose vision for the remaking of the Southern Baptist Convention is, in my view, not reflective of the rank and file Bob and Betty Baptist sitting out in the pew, we should not be surprised that those kinds of uh, uh, philosophies are reflected in the committee on committees, the committee on nominations, Mm -hmm. and all the way down to the nominees that would eventually sit on our Uh, boards of trustees. Uh, But then there's a process problem where you have clear indication, and I could cite examples of it, where our boards of trustees seem to be acting in the best interest of their fellow trustees and of their entity heads and not acting in the best interest of the people to whom they should be accountable. Most specifically, they need to hold those entities in trust for the churches of the Mm -hmm. Southern Baptist Convention. So I do think that we need to give very clear attention to uh, the office of president, who would be elected, and what kind of convictions they have because that's going to be that's going to show up downstream in the nomination of the trustees but we also need to seriously revamp our trustee training process so that our trustees understand that they do not act in the best interest of the employees of the convention but the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention. So it's a two-pronged process. Yeah, I agree completely with that. It's been a real frustration to see how some of our trustees have worked, and I've dealt with multiple trustees of different agencies and and institutions over the last couple of years. And it's always been cordial, but um, it's like they are employees of the institution yeah. or employees of the agency yeah. and, and it's yeah it's they just come crazy. around and they and they protect the entity head far too often yeah. and they're clear examples of that beyond the scope maybe of this podcast i would also say on that point it's one reason why uh we we need to have someone serving as president who does not have a personal vested interest and in who would be sitting on those boards right and that's why i think there's a conflict of interest i've thought this for many years uh, back to the last and most recent time that it happened 
I believe there is an obvious, clear conflict of interest with an entity head simultaneously serving as president of the convention because they have a real, but it's an indirect, but a real influence over who will sit on the board, uh, a board to which they're supposed to be accountable, not the other way around. And in today's SBC, where you have a lot of very close relationships at the entity head level, um, the president, if he's an entity head today, not only has influence over his own board, but the board of some of his closest friends. Uh, I say this, guys, with, with, with malice toward no one, but in the last 15 to 20 years, one of the problems with SBC leadership is there, the SBC leadership family tree doesn't have enough forks in its branches. And so you have a lot of people who've worked together and served together, and that just does not lead to a high level of accountability if you're going to put someone in an influential place over who will sit on our various trustee boards. You, you know, that goes hand in hand, Mike, with another observation that uh, people need to be made aware of. Uh, at any given annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, usually less than 8% of our churches are represented by messengers. In 2019, I think it was 7%, like 3,500 churches out of the nearly 48,000 churches that we have in the SBC had messengers there. And when you factor in the reality that many of those who show up are employed by denominational agencies and they have their ways paid by different groups that bring them in, um, it, it just is disenfranchising the local churches. And then you know, local churches need to own it because um, it's hard. I know, you know, typical SBC church doesn't have a lot of money in the budget for these type of things. But if we don't take note of that, and if our churches are unwilling to sacrifice to get to these meetings and let their voices be heard, then there's just going to be this continual elitist type of uh, domineering of how the convention goes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very unhealthy. It, it absolutely is. In fact, just before we started recording this podcast, I saw on, on SBC Twitter where there's actually criticism <laughs> of our appeal my appeal and the appeal of others to have an increased representation mm -hmm. of messengers from SBC churches yep. at the annual meeting, as if that's somehow uh, subversive <laughs> of the convention processes. It is as upside down, 180 degrees different than the way that it ought to be. Let me give you just a few quick statistics. We know uh, uh, membership in the SBC churches is significantly down. The last full year, we lost another quarter of a million members of record, and the official number is now down to around 14 and a half million. We know that that number is grossly inflated, and the FBI couldn't find about 10 million of them. But if we just stay with the official number of 14 and a half million, and they're members of 47 to 48,000 churches, but even in our more controversial years, you're hard pressed to get 8,500 or 9,000 messengers at an annual meeting. Mm -hmm. And then on the more substantial votes, you, you hardly ever have more than about 7,000 ballots that are cast, which means that 3,501 people are able to control most of the decisions of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I want to encourage uh, all of our churches to maximize your messenger allotment. And uh, and when you go to the convention, don't stay out in the hallway or over mm -hmm. at the vendor section. Don't, don't spend all your time at the room or down by the pool. Stay on the floor with your ballots in hand. That's why your church sent you and is helping to pay your way so that you can reflect the sentiment of your congregation at the annual meeting of the SBC. And I believe we need more, not less involvement from rank-and-file grassroots Southern Baptists. Now, yeah, I mean, like, like Pastor Mike said, make sure you do get in that room, but do come visit the Founders booth. Uh, in the <laughs> yeah. Just make sure you get in there when you need to do your business. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah. during, during the break. During the, during break. the breaks, yeah. And also, we will uh, we'll be... 
communicating with folks via our social media platforms as well. So if people want to know, you know, what's going on or what our thinking is, what our assessment is of, of different things happening at the convention, they can just follow us there and uh, we'll be glad to point them to important meetings. Yeah, I simply want to commend you, Pastor Mike. This is so refreshing. I know so many people that are just frustrated because they cannot get a straight talker mm. to be in any position to even be running for president of SBC because of how pragmatic and posturing uh, the whole thing has become. And so for those who are disgruntled, I mean, take this as a ray of hope. Here is a man who is willing to say this is what needs to happen, knowing that, uh, well, some people aren't going to like that. Some people aren't going to vote for me. Mm -hmm. But everybody else positioning, unwilling to speak, unwilling to take action, always talking in the abstract. This is a uh, great encouragement. And I'll just commend you for your willingness to speak the truth honestly, and to have a course of action and to pursue it the way that you're pursuing it. Well, Jared, one of the things that helps me have that perspective is my commitment to be a local church pastor. Mm. Uh, I have readily and repeatedly said that I, in ministry, I'm first and foremost a husband a father to four precious children, ages eight to 18, and I'm the pastor of a local Southern Baptist church. I was uh, speaking to someone at one of our recent annual meetings, and they said, um, you know, some of the SBC leadership doesn't know how to take you. And my answer, uh, with all sincerity, and I hope with humility, is to say that you don't have anything in Nashville that I want, and I don't have anything in Blackshear, Georgia, that you can take. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I hope that if the Lord ever calls me to retire vocationally, I want to do it from the Emmanuel Baptist Church. I don't need a forward for a book or a cover letter for a resume, a recommendation to go somewhere else. And uh, that makes me respectful to all, grateful for each, but beholding to none. And there's a great freedom in that. And on that point, I'm the only announced nominee at this point whose household income is not derived in some way or another from gifts through the cooperative program. Our church is a giver through the cooperative program, and my household is not a recipient of cooperative program funds. And so between my personality, my calling, and that uh, simple distinction, I, I believe there's great freedom to just speak with conviction and grace. Amen. And that is what we need today. And we are so grateful for your willingness to uh, to let yourself be put in the position uh, of being questioned and being nominated at the convention. And again, we want to encourage everybody to show up in Nashville. Uh, I wrote an article, I think, before you even announced that you were going to be a candidate. And I said, we need a Southern Baptist pastor of a local church who has backbone, who has a willingness to speak plainly, who understands the issues, is not afraid to take a stand. And lo and behold, uh, you're that guy. So we praise God that he's put you in this position. We'll see what the Lord does. I've heard you say that multiple times if the Lord wills. And uh, God knows what he's doing, and we don't always understand what he's doing in the moment, but we're going to trust him and encourage all Southern Baptist churches, send messengers to Nashville. Let your voices be heard. Yes. I mean, that's not, we're not talking theoretically either. We're talking about like, you need to get to Nashville. So you might have some, you might have some issues. You think, how am I supposed to get there? You know, send us an email. Founders Go to founders.org, go down there, bottom right-hand corner, hit the email button. We got people here. We'll facilitate. We'll see what we can do. Sure. Uh, we can't make any promises, but actually get to work on it. So this is a key moment. You've gotten to hear from Pastor Mike Stone. Let's make sure we see you in Nashville. Yeah. And that, I mean, we did this back in uh, 2020 in Orlando because it was not going to cost us as much to travel to Orlando from Cape Coral, Florida. It's just a few hour drive. Uh, we actually were setting aside money and, 
telling pastors, look, if you can't go, your church can't help you, we will help you, you know, and we weren't telling them you, you got to go vote our way. We just wanted guys that were concerned that couldn't get there to get there. And there've been other churches that have reached out to us some uh, over the last year or so. I think we would have churches willing to help and individuals willing to help. So if you want to go to the convention, you can't afford to go to the convention, do what Jared said, contact us. We can't make any promises, but if we can find resources to assist you, we'll be glad to do it. Pastor Mike, thank you so much for joining us here, brother. It's been wonderful uh, to hear your mind and to have this opportunity for this discussion about the upcoming convention. Thanks so much. Well, the privilege has been mine. And I'll just say in closing, uh, your listeners can stop by PastorMikeStone.com. That's also my handle on most social media apps. So you can find me at PastorMikeStone.com and we can connect in that way. It's been an honor to be with you guys. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial.